Welcome. It's good. We're digging in. I'm going to ask my other tech friend, June, if you could pop up the PowerPoint for me, June. Or do I need to click it? There it is. Thank you, June. Um, we're carrying on this morning in our series in Revelation. It's been really good. It's been encouraging to dig into God's Word and to look at this book and go, Lord, what are you saying to these churches through these letters? Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to us as your people, as your church? Um, and today, uh, we're looking at the second letter, Dear Church, and this is the lovely title that Matt has given me, Will You Hold On When It Hurts? Thanks for that, Matt. That's lovely. <laughs> Will You Hold On When It Hurts? And we're reading, as we've heard already, from looking at this letter to Smyrna. Dear Church, Will You Hold On When It Hurts? And so I thought... I'd steal things from Matt, because, you know, why make up new things? There's nothing new under the sun. I thought we'd do some love songs about songs that are all about hurt and pain. I thought that would be a lovely way to start our service, just like last week we had love songs. And then I remembered, as I was thinking, oh, yeah, let's do that. Um, I remember in the 90s there was a sort of movement where everyone was trying to be a bit like Willow Creek, and we had these Willow Creek services in the church over that that were trying to be more accessible to those exploring faith. Brilliant, that was great. And so I was part of the band, and I think I was doing the talk, and we, we decided as part of the worship set, we would do uh, the song by R.E.M., Everybody Hurts. Everybody Hurts. <laughs> it was like, oh, I just took such a nose dive. So we're not going to do that. We're going to move on. <laughs> not going to do that. Because actually it's tough. And this morning, I'm aware this could be a bit tough. It's been tough for me, if I'm honest, preparing this. It's tough when we look at God's word and it says, you're going to suffer. You, you, things are hard. I recognize that you're struggling. You've got afflictions and pain. And I love the fact that Jesus says, I'm not going to dodge your stuff. I recognize these things. And he wants to speak to us. Remember, this is Jesus. This is Jesus revealing himself to John on the island of Patmos speaking to these churches, speaking to you, speaking to me. And there's words of encouragement, there always is. There's words of life that we're going to hear this morning. But there's words that are tough for maybe some of us today. But my prayer is that we go away knowing that Jesus loves us. Jesus knows us. Jesus knows our situation. He is for us and nothing can be against us. Let's pray. Lord God, would you be with us this morning as we dig into your word again? We thank you for it. It's just amazing that you speak to us as we open your word. Lord, you've spoken to me, and I pray that we would have ears to hear your word afresh to us now. Holy Spirit, speak to each and every one of us, those in the room, those at home. Speak, I pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you have conversations with people at the moment. Hopefully you do. <laughs> Hopefully you talk to people. But sometimes my conversations sound a bit like this. Oh, it's all getting worse, isn't it? Seems like everything's going wrong in society. Why are people so hurtful and violent? And what's going on with young people? And why can't they be kind like we are as adults? No, we're not. <laughs> but you hear this rhetoric, don't we? Why can't the wars stop? seems like life is getting harder. People's mental health is getting worse. We hear these things, don't we? And we go, Lord, help. Lord, have mercy. 
We live in a time of suffering where we recognise that each generation, each stage of our lives, each generation has to then go through struggles and pains. We see it with the generation that went before us. We'll probably see it with the generation that comes after us. We see that things aren't right and we hear news stories. And thank you so much, Kath, this morning for just drawing our attention to those things that break our heart when we hear about things in the world of famine, of wars, of dams that have been destroyed and homes washed away. Lord, have mercy. Our heart breaks. And yet sometimes my heart is numb as well, if I'm honest. I see the news and I go, flick over, that hurts too much. But we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus and we come to this letter and we open the book, we open the revelation to the church at Smyrna and we hear these words in verse 8. These are the words of him, Jesus, who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. These words we read in our second week, didn't we? Back in chapter 1, verse 17. And each letter starts with a little, this is who is writing to you. This is who speaks to you today. This is who speaks to us today. This is Jesus, the first, the last, the one who died and came back to life again. That's who we believe in today. That's who we trust. That's who I'm putting my hope in. And this small little church in Smyrna needed to hear these words. I'm the first. I'm the last. I'm the one who died and came to life again. These words they would have held on to, just as we hold on to them today. This is a church that needed to know that Jesus is always there and will have the final word and is beaten death. These are the words that they would constantly come back to as they opened the letter again and went, Jesus, you're the first, you're the last, you've beaten death. And so let's have a little bit of geography, let's come back to our little map, the little mappies amongst us, I think Matt said that last week, the little mapites. Um, so we've got John on the island of Patmos there, I'm pointing in the wrong place, I'm looking at my map, you've got John receiving this revelation, these words from Jesus himself. Um, we went to Ephesus last week and then we've come about 35 miles north to Smyrna. And Smyrna, I might be saying it wrong, I'm going to go with that. Um, Smyrna is uh, an interesting place. Where is my bit? It, was, it is a seaport. It still exists today. Um, it's been through, it was a kind of rival to Ephesus, who can be the best, the biggest Ephesus slightly won, but it was there as a strong second best. There was an old ancient Greek city, a bit more inland, two or three miles inland. It was built as a fortress in ancient Greek times, but it was destroyed in 600 BC and never rebuilt. But then the new city was planned by Alexander the Great. Mm, That's quite impressive, isn't it? Um, (laughs) And it was seen as a crown, as a jewel. It was beautifully designed. And they had the harbour, and it was prosperous and wealthy. Smyrna was one of the oldest allies with Rome. This is important, as we'll see later. And as early as 165 BC, there was a temple built to the goddesses of Rome. And in 26 AD, Smyrna was the first city in Asia to have a temple built to Tiberius. So that close bond, close link with Rome 
influenced and totally changed their culture. Large Jewish population too, which was challenging actually, as we'll see, to the new followers of Jesus. It's not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. There you go, it's just mentioned in Revelation. And we're going to find out a bit more about it today. We see a pattern. There's a pattern that starts, and Smyrna's pattern, the letter to them, is slightly different. It starts with the same. It starts with a reminder of Jesus, the first and the last. Then it goes on to say, well done. We're going to look at why they're doing well. And then, in the other letters, it says, oh, but you're missing that bit. You're missing this. You're forgetting. Last week it was, you're forgetting your first love. This church don't have that. They have a, this is me, this is Jesus, this is what you're doing well, keep going. (laughs) Their pattern is different. And we'll see with them, there's no rebuke, there's no challenge in that way. (laughs) Because their challenge is different. I love that about each of these letters. As we read them, and come into realise they speak differently to each of us. Just as they spoke to the different churches, my prayer is this speaks to you today. So my first bit I want to point out are these two words. This is Jesus speaking to his church, his people, to me and you. And he says this two little words a couple of times. He says, I know. I know. And these words really jumped out at me. They spoke to me. Jesus says, I know. He is the one that knows. He's the one that sees. He knows you. He knows me. He knows what you're feeling right now. Jesus knows. That's good news, isn't it, friends? That is good news today, that Jesus knows. He knows you. He knows me. He knows what we're facing. He knows what's going on. And then he goes on in the letter, John does, to say some of the things that he knows about this church. Jesus says, I know about your afflictions. He knows their afflictions. He knows their suffering and their poverty. In verse 9 it says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Amazing words. The word affliction can also be translated tribulations. Oh, tribulation. That sounds more impressive, doesn't it? Oh, tribulation. It's that word. Another version describes it as the burden that crushes. This church are facing affliction. They're facing a burden that crushes, something that's a heavy weight, a heavy burden that lays on them. It's not a light affliction that these people are facing. It's ongoing. It's persistent. It's a heavy weight. It's a burden on their lives. They face separation. They've probably been ostracized and persecuted. The followers of Jesus are different. As followers of Jesus, we're called to be different. We're called to stand out. Just as these were, they were saying no to bowing down and worshipping Roman gods. And they wouldn't have been seen as proper Jews. Therefore, this new Christian faith wasn't legally permitted. So they would have suffered at the hands of those around them. And Jesus is preparing them that it's going to get worse. But Jesus, the first and the last knows. Jesus knows their suffering, knows their afflictions. Here this morning that Jesus knows your suffering. He knows your afflictions. 
How amazing that the one that was there in creation and breathed life into being, who now sits at the right hand of the Father, he knows you. He knows me. The God of heaven and earth knows you and knows me. We just need to let that sit sometimes and go, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you know me. You know everything about me. You know the hairs on my head that are thinning and growing grey. Jesus, you know me. And we love you, Jesus. Jesus doesn't have a detached knowledge, but a knowledge of compassion. Jesus is the God who has come near. Jesus knows my weakness. He knows my suffering. Hebrews 4 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weakness, but we have one that was tempted in every way, just as we are. He knows. He knows. Jesus knew affliction. He knew suffering. He knew suffering to the point of death on a cross. He knows me. He knows my pain. He knows my struggles. The other thing that Jesus knows about this church in Smyrna is, I know your poverty. These Christians in Smyrna would have been poor, really poor. Their poverty would have been, again, because they refused to participate in the Roman business life. Uh, it would have probably been based on like a guild system where you were a recognised trade. And to work a trade, you had to be part of this guild, this membership. But being part of that also meant you had to participate in the various pagan religious ceremonies. You'd have gone to the temple, worship the Roman gods. These faithful followers of Jesus would have refused to take part in these ceremonies and they would have been able to, to trade. They would have been poor. Their income, their way of life would have been changed, been stopped because of their choice to follow Jesus. Jesus knew their poverty. Jesus, the one who became poor for me and for you, who left behind his kingly status and power and became a man, made himself nothing, born into a stable, his family uh, on the run, refugees from a young age, fleeing to Egypt, living a humble life as a carpenter's son. Jesus knew about poverty. Jesus knew what it was to struggle. And these Christians in Smyrna, they were surrounded by riches and wealth, the crown of Asia. And yet, they were poor. And yet, what does... John go on to say about them, he says, yet you are rich. (laughs) Oh Lord, thank you so much. We hear those words and we go, really? Well, I certainly do. I don't take these in sometimes. I go, oh yeah, but look what they've got. Look what other people have got. Oh, look at those people. They're much more sort. Oh, if only I was more like them. No, Jesus' words to us today, "I, I know your poverty. I know your choices. And yet, You are rich. They are rich, even though they have nothing. They're afflicted, they're despised, they're poor. Jesus says they are rich. Rich in the treasures of eternity. Blessed and with spiritual abundance because of the self-impoverishment 
Jesus chose. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake and my sake he became poor, so that through Jesus and his poverty we may be rich. What incredible words. You are rich here today. I am rich in Jesus. Whatever state we are in today, and I recognise we are in a world that is tough, that is struggling. Financially, it's not easy for people. And we, like the church in Smyrna, in all things, can say that we are rich in Christ Jesus. One who was rich became poor for you and for me. I've got some thoughts around sometimes how much does my wealth actually hinder me knowing Jesus? Sometimes I remove my need for Jesus because actually I've got a nice house, I've got my car, I've got food on my table. And so sometimes I, I I don't have that reliance on Jesus in the same way of those that are really poor, that need to rely on God every day for their food. Hearing stories of those orphans in Uh, with George Muller in in Bristol that every day would go Lord we need food and they would sit down for breakfast with empty plates and empty tables and they would pray and they would see miracles of food provided I saw that at Lee Abbey a little bit when I was part of the community there we would have an international community we we had money at Lee Abbey, it was a little bit tight at times but we'd be serving a hundred meals every day three times a day uh, with a community that couldn't cook <laughs> with a community that spoke different languages and every meal that came out would be a miracle you literally saw God answer prayer every climbing instructor that I was able to go yeah you're safe to allow people to climb was a miracle because we're God's people and going Lord this is the bit we have in our hands we're going to offer our lives to you and we're going to trust you to answer our prayers and so I don't know where I'm going with this, apart from a little bit of thought about my my riches, my my wealth. Is it is my riches in my material stuff, or is my riches in Jesus? Is my riches and my hope in Him? It's a challenge, and it's not easy for us, those in the West, that we have so much, and yet we're called maybe to be a bit poorer for Jesus. Sometimes we're poor, called to be those that. Trust in him, who rest in him, and know his riches. There's one more thing that Jesus knows about this church in Smyrna. He knows about the slander. Oh, there's a good word, slander. He knows about the slander of those who say things, who say they are Jews, but they're not. They are the synagogue of Satan. Strong words. Strong words that John uses here. Those who say they are Jews, but they're not. He's not speaking out about those who were saying they're Jews, but are really, they're, they're the work of the accuser. They're, they're spreading lies. We know that the accuser is Satan, the one who talks falsities, who makes things up. He accuses. These are harsh words for those that don't recognise who Jesus is. They were accusers of Christians. They were being slandered. And they were being pulled up on things that weren't true. They were being called out by those around them. And again, they were struggling. 
they would have suffered because once they were declared not proper Jews, they would then be persecuted. They wouldn't have been part of the system that enabled them to trade, as I said before. They wouldn't have been able to function in society in the same way. And so by being called not Jews, not followers of God, they would have been ridiculed. They'd have been put out. Jesus again knows what it is to have lies and slander said about him. He knows what it is to have misinformation about him. Jesus knows. Jesus knows the misinformation that's maybe said about you and me. All those weird Christians, they take Jesus a bit too seriously. Oh, they're a bit happy. Um, (laughs) You know, they love Jesus a bit too much. Can't they just keep quiet about it? Oh, why do they choose to live that life? Why do they make these decisions? Actually, when I read this, I was like, I probably don't receive enough slander. I probably don't receive enough lies about me. Probably I'm a bit too nice. I probably don't wind people up enough about talking about Jesus enough. Jesus knows what it was to have others slandering him. He was misquoted. He had his words twisted. He had others trying to trap him in what he said or did. He was spat at. He had abuse hurled at him. He was mocked and ridiculed. And he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus knows. Jesus knows the words we face. Jesus knows the decisions we make in our workplaces, in our homes, to know that isn't right. I'm going to stay true to Jesus. I'm going to make right choices in my home, for my community, to follow Jesus. And there'll be a cost. And lastly, there's some good news coming. Don't worry, it's all good. Jesus says this. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. (laughs) There is some good news in there. It seems hard, doesn't it? He's preparing them. He's saying, look, I know what you're facing now. Insults, poverty, slander. But it's okay. Do not be afraid. There may be more to come. But Jesus is the one who's writing. He's the one who's going to get them through. He sees their pain and suffering. He says, come, take up your cross. Follow me. And he warns them that there's worse to come. talks about prison. He says, you'll be persecuted and put in prison for ten days. Ten days doesn't literally mean, um, oh, ten days, boop, then we're done. Ten days could mean, more figuratively, it could mean longer periods of time. John often used days as years, so there's a more figurative language of speech. There's also an interesting link to ten days, which might remind you of Daniel where him and his friends stood up and went, no, we're not going to take the meat and the wine that's offered to the king and to the idols. We're going to trust in God. We're going to trust him and actually give us vegetables and water and see how healthy we are when we put our trust in King Jesus, when we put our trust in God. We don't know how long they had to suffer for, but we knew that if they were put into prison, it was likely prison meant that they would face death. They were prepared to die for their faith. And the challenge for us is, Lord, what am I prepared to do for you? What am I prepared to to give up? But I know that I don't need to be afraid of what I'm going to suffer because Jesus has gone ahead of me. He is the first. He is the last. 
I don't know what challenges you're facing today, the suffering, the hurt you're facing right now, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, financial, the fear of tomorrow, the sadness and grief. Jesus says to you and to me, I know, I know, do not be afraid. I don't say these words glibly or lightly, but hear afresh these words from Jesus. I know, I know you. Do not be afraid. Some favourite verses of mine when I first became a Christian were Joshua 1 verse 9. You'll know them well. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And then there's this final encouragement at the end. To me and to you and to the church at Smyrna. Be faithful. Be faithful. Hang in there. Hold on. Just like we heard Mig talk about. When stuff comes flying at us, hold on. Be faithful. Trust in God. James 1 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It strengthens us when we struggle, when we suffer. We are able to stand. We are able to keep going. Be faithful, says Jesus, to me and to you today. Be faithful. Trust in Jesus. And why should we be faithful? Because it says, I will give you the victor's crown. There's a prize to come for each and every one of us that remains faithful. They would have known in Smyrna, they would have known there was a crown, a laurel wreath, a prize that was yet, that was given out to the ones who ran the race and won. And there's a prize for us, the prize of eternal life, the prize of life everlasting, the prize of life now with Jesus. had just a thought, and this might be a word for someone as well, but uh, a little bit of climbing that I used to do and help people with. There's a technique in climbing that is helpful. Um, If you dangle with straight arms, it's really easy. If you try and pull yourself up with your muscles like that, you get tired, your arms get weak. But if you can actually bend down, kneel down sometimes, and twist your hips and lean in, you actually are dangling on straight arms and it's a lot easier with your arms outstretched. And so a word as I was preparing this that might be for someone is about leaning in. Sometimes if you're hanging out from a wall and your bottom's out, (laughs) it's hard, it's tiring and we want to give up. But if you've got straight arms and you tuck your hips in, you can dangle there for ages. Your feet take the weight and your arms are just hooked on. Sometimes I think we think as Christians we've got to work harder, hold on, Ooh, I've got to do all the work myself. I think Jesus wants to remind us, as he reminded this church in Smyrna, it's okay, just dangle, just lean in, trust me, keep close to me, bring your hips close to me, bring in, come to the cross, seek me, find me. When you seek me, you will find me with all your heart. Today, 
Jesus wants to remind us that he knows. Jesus knows. He knows where we're at this morning. He knows what we're facing. He knows your afflictions and my afflictions. He knows maybe the the need that we have materially, physically. He knows maybe some of the slander that we're receiving, those lies from others and the enemy. But he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Trust me. Keep going. He says, you will receive the victor's prize. You will receive the crown of life. I'm going to ask Nathan and the band just to come up. Um, I think it's so important to hold on to these words that the letter started with. These are the words of him who is the first and the last. The one who died and came to life again. Jesus, Jesus is the key to all that is going on in our lives. He's the one who knows. He's the one who's the first and the last. He's the one who's conquered death. He's the one who's made a way for us. So we're going to worship. We're going to sing this song together. It's, it's probably a new one to lots of us. Um, maybe we could bring the words up on the screen, June. It would be great. Thank you. It says, I'm calling on the God of Jacob, whose love endures through generations. I know you will keep your covenant. And it goes on to say, I'm calling on the God of Moses, the one who opened up the ocean. I need you now to do the same for me. For me. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh rock of ages. I'm standing on your faithfulness. Standing on your faithfulness. I'd just like to encourage you to stand if you're able. Nathan and the band were kind of leaders in this. And maybe make this a prayer. Lord, you know my situations. You know my circumstances. Jesus, I need you now. I need to know your faithfulness to those of Moses and Jacob in the past. I want to know your faithfulness to me. I want to know that I can trust you, that I can hold on, lean into you. You are my rock.